insert your punchline here. That's what this has become as I've carried this around or brought it in this morning. I've got a lot of jokes and, and comments. Digging deep. That's, that's what we're talking about this morning. Digging deep. And as, as I started to formulate that kind of image for the message this morning, I, I thought just about just the simple act of, of using a shovel. Obviously, the connection is not hard to make. But, uh, you know, I started to think back. For most of us, we, we consider a shovel a tool, a tool to be used for a, for a purpose, and we'll talk about some of those purposes in a moment. But, but I, I was thinking back when I was just a kid on summer break, you know, from school like a lot of our kids are now. And, and I remember one summer, a bunch of us in the neighborhood, you know, trying to find things to do and, and kill time back when we all played outside the entire summer. Um, for us, a, a shovel became a toy. And what I mean by it is I remember a bunch of us getting together one day and deciding, I don't know what inspired it or how we got there, but everyone said, go home and get your shovels, and we're going to dig a hole. Now you'd say, well, why? I don't know, because we felt like digging a hole. And we wanted to see how deep we could dig it. So, you know, Jason down the street and Faith down the street and Wilson down the street and Brian, my brother and I, we got shovels out of our, you know, the work sheds our parents had and we went and we, we gathered in this kind of vacant plot of land that was down, down the street in Jacksonville. We wanted to do that because we knew if we dug a hole in any yard, somebody was going to be grounded for it. So, so we were smart enough to know, to know better and we just started to dig a hole just to see how deep we could go. And I will tell you, we got that hole probably that deep before we went, this is too much work. <laughs> and, uh, and we abandoned that project. But, but it was just the idea. I, I mean, I do remember this. It was just, we were just curious to see what we would find. No, what we found was dirt. But, um, but in, in a kid's imagination, you imagine there might be something under there. You know, and that, that's been a, a driving point of, of fantasy for, for many years. What happens when you go deep? Uh, in 1864, Jules Verne wrote, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Uh, I think that's the right title, close enough. Uh, you're nodding your head, so some of you are like, okay. Uh, and, and in that fantasy of going deep, I think it was through of the volcano. You know, you encountered prehistoric dinosaurs and giants and, and all kinds of mythological creatures. And, and, of course, growing up watching Bugs Bunny cartoons, you dig deep enough, you pop up in China. You know, that idea that you just don't know, don't know where it's going to go. So for us, the idea of digging deep was this exploration of, of, of the unknown. Now, as we get older, we recognize that, that digging serves other purposes. One is, is legitimate scientific exploration, is a, a desire to discover what really is at the core of the earth. Uh, I heard one scientist say, we know more about the galaxies above us than we know about the earth below us. And, and so they, they want to find out, you know, the, we believe that at the core of the earth is, is nickel, alloy, and iron. Uh, scientists have now speculate that the center of the earth is actually as hot as the surface of the sun. So if you, you're not digging all the way to China, you'd be incinerated long before you got there. But so, so they've, they've tried to get down in, in the deepest hole ever dug, if you want to use that imagery of digging or, or drilling down, uh, is in the Soviet Union. It's the Kola super deep um, borehole. 
it's not used anymore for any purpose. It's a very, very wide hole at the top, but when it gets down to the deepest point, it's only nine inches wide, and it goes seven and a half miles deep. And we're going, that's pretty deep, until you forget, figure that to get to the center of the earth, you have to go almost 4,000 miles. So, I mean, put that in perspective of how little we know. So scientists, they dig for exploration to, to, to further knowledge. Uh, people dig for profit. Oil companies dig to, to tap into oil reserves. Um, those who are seeking, uh, people dig for diamonds and things. So, so that's, that's a, a catalyst for, for the reason that we dig. But, but the most common, what, what's that? You dig for weeds. Yeah, that's a whole different ballgame. But yeah, yeah, that's back to the work part. Um, but you know what the most common reason that we dig, the most common worldwide reason that we need to dig? Yeah, water. We dig, we dig for water, especially if you live in arid climates or, uh, you know, certainly in desert climates, you dig. In, in Saudi Arabia, there's a well that was hand dug. You can see this on YouTube. If you want to go check it out, you can type... Um, search 400 foot well and you'll see this well that was dug in Saudi Arabia 400 feet dug by hand I don't know how they did that I didn't show how they dug it but um, and this shows the process of drawing water uh, the rope that is certainly dropped into the well and then they use a camel to to just walk away from the well to lift the water up because water is such a precious commodity we need it uh, to sustain life so you know kids we might dig for, for, for fun, but scientists dig for knowledge and some dig for profit, and, but, but many places of the world, what well, we all do, we have to sink down, dig down to, to, find, to find life and the sustenance of life, which, which is water. And that's the image that's going to drive us this morning as we, look at the, as we look at the Scripture and we look at specifically at Isaiah's words this morning in the Scripture to, to his people. And that's what we're going to pick up now. At Isaiah chapter 12, it is a song of praise, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna hear these words, and then we'll kind of go a little deeper with these words this morning. Isaiah 12, beginning at verse one: In that day, you will say, "I will praise you, Lord." Although you are angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation; I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord Himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. And proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of His Word. And let us, let us pray. Gracious Lord, that we would find refreshment, renewal in Your Word, in our worship, in the experience of Your Holy Presence this morning. And in these moments as Your Scripture is read and as we share and, and open our hearts to Your voice, speak Your truth to us. And, and may these words that are spoken be pleasing to You. And may they draw us deeper in faith and in our relationship with Christ. This is our prayer, and we pray it in your holy name. Amen and amen. So the idea is, the, the image of this is that we dig down, or we know, it's not the idea. The truth is that we dig down for a lot of reasons, but the most important reason, the most necessary reason, is because 
digging down is life-giving. Finding water and sources of water is, is life-giving. And Isaiah is speaking to a people, his people, that need to experience a renewal of life. And, and that's not just in a, in a literal sense. Certainly, they live in an arid, dry place. They're in the Middle East. They're in, they're in Israel. So they, they identify with this, this need to kind of dig and, and this image of a well. And, and they're, they're experiencing, they experience in a reality a desert-like condition or an experience. But, but what, is, what is a physical reality for, for the people is also a spiritual reality. It's, it's an emotional reality because Isaiah is one of the prophets that speaks to his people during their time of exile that God uses as a voice when the people are experiencing the exile from their homeland. They're carried off into captivity. We've talked about this, the Babylonian exile. And the people um, have lost an identity. They've, they've really lost their, 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 this promised land is part of who they understand themselves to be, the, the temple which we talked about, and, and the location of where God had called them to be is part of their, their identity. And that gets lost. And so, so they're feeling this desert, this, this dry um, weakening of their spirit as, as they struggle to understand who they are and understand who God is. And, and where is God in this? And so into this, Isaiah speaks words of hope, words of, of restoration, words of promise to, to begin to give them some comfort in the knowledge that their present reality isn't going to be um, their eternal experience, if you will. That things are going to change. That God has not forgotten them. That, that's really how God has not forgotten you. And so the, the song, if you will, the song of praise begins with these words, in that day you will say. Now, now that's an important phrase, in that day, because that's a clue. If, if you're studying the Scriptures, if you're reading the Scriptures, in that day, the first question you would ask yourself if you just went to this text by itself, if you're not reading through Isaiah, the first thing you should ask yourself is, what day? What day? And that's why you would go back, and you'd want to go back and read a little bit. And, and, and if you go back, especially to Isaiah chapter 11... You, you read a couple verses. I just want to read a couple portions of this. This is what he said at verse 11 in chapter 11. Isaiah said this, In that day, okay, now we're, we're building a bridge here. He references that day in Isaiah 12. He's talking about it in Isaiah 11. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand, I'm sorry, in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of the people from Assyria. And he begins to name all the places that they've been scattered. In that day, the Lord will reach out a second time. Well, when was the first time? Well, the first time was their deliverance out of their bondage in Egypt. It was the story of Moses and the delivering the people out and leading them into the promised land. So that was the first time God had reached out to, to restore his people. Now they've been scattered again. Now everything's gone sideways. And, and Isaiah says, in that day, a second time, God will reach out. God will reach out and will gather us back to the place that he had promised for us. Verse 12, he will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. So Isaiah is saying to the people, he's saying as bad as it is right now, as, as much as we're struggling and, and trying to understand what's happened to us, God hasn't forgotten us. 
God hasn't abandoned us. And, and what he's saying is God hasn't abandoned the relationship with us, even though we have, as a people, abandoned God over and over and over again. Remember why they're in this situation, because over and over and over again they fail to be obedient. Over and over and over again they reject the laws of God. Over and over and over again they turn to false worship. The, all the things God told them not to do go back to Deuteronomy. Basically, everything God said don't do, they do. So, so, so they feel as if they're experiencing this, this punishment, and sometimes it feels like, like God has, has completely forgotten about them. And Isaiah says, no. No, no, God hasn't. God will restore. God will reach out a second time, will bring us back. Hold fast to that promise and let that begin to nurture the promise of this relationship that has not been forgotten. Continue to, to, to walk in relationship with God. And, and so that's where, where then Isaiah uses this image in verse 3. He talks about drawing water from the wells of salvation. That brings us back to this image of digging because in order to get to a well... In order to draw water, you've got to go down. You've got to dig down to get it. And, and so, so as they say, be invested in this relationship that, that God has called us into. Be invested in this relationship with God who is going to restore, who hasn't forgotten, hasn't abandoned us, and know that this life-giving water that God has, has provided is still available to us because water gives life. We know that physically. We know that as a physical reality, there's few experiences in life that are more refreshing when you are exhausted and hot and, you know, your throat's dry and your tongue's sticking to the roof of your mouth and you can't, you can't get any spit because you, everything's so dried out. There's few moments in life that are more refreshing than a simple glass of water. And when you go to the fridge, you don't go for the sugary drinks, you go for water because it, it gives life, it restores. In fact, this morning, I love how these... These kind of illustrations just pop up organically in my life. Um, I got up at, I, as I've shared with you, I get up early on Sunday morning, so I was up at 5 o'clock. And, and Ryan got up with me at 5 o'clock. Uh, Ryan's back running sound. Those of you that want to know where Ryan is today, and he's not on stage, he's, he's back running sound this morning. And uh, so Ryan got up because he wanted to go run before church. He was going to be here at 7.30 with me, and he wanted to run, which is crazy. But it's what he wanted to do. <laughs> So, so he got up, so we got up together, and, and he left, and about, you know, 40 minutes later, I hear the door open, and Ryan comes back in, and, and I just kind of yelled at him through the, the wall, you know, how was your run, and hot and sticky, you know, that kind of a thing, and, but I'm, I'm, I'm hearing him in the kitchen, and, and he does what, what you'd expect, there's nothing startling about what he did, but I could hear it, I hear him grab the cup, I hear him go to the fridge, I hear him, the water filling, and I can literally hear him gulping the water. Because it's what the body needs. Because it was the most important thing he could do at that moment was to refill the body with this, this life-giving water. Well, of course, we know this. What Isaiah says, that when we come into this relationship with God, we draw from the well of salvation. We, we, we're given life. We find life in, in a spiritual way. We're, we're given an essential relationship that restores and renews us. And he wants his people to come back in and, and, and basically recommit themselves to this relationship. We're called constantly, daily, to commit ourselves to this relationship. And Isaiah then tells us through the song of praise in that day what God does. What God does in this relationship. When we dig, when we dig deep and we draw from this well, this is what we experience. This is what God does. The very first verse 
In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you are angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. So what happens when we dig deep? The first thing is we are refreshed by God's grace. That, that we are refreshed by this grace of God that, that He gives to us. He says, though you are angry with me. And when, when, when Isaiah says me, he's using the first person, but he's representing the people. You are angry with us. And, and here's the truth that people know. You had reason to be. This is not a we're the victims, we can't believe you're mad at us. This is we really messed up. We really messed up. And so their, their call is to come repentantly. Their call is to be confessional. I mean, that's, we all mess up. We all mess up. We all fall short of, of uh, we let people down. And the, 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 the most important thing we can do in those moments is, is be honest about that. Not try to hide it. Not try to pretend it didn't happen. To, to be confessional. And so the people have to come confessionally. And they say, you were angry with us. But, but he goes on to say, your anger has turned away. And instead of words of anger and judgment, which is what we fear, what does he say? You have comforted me. So in place of, of justified anger, in place of justified judgment, comes comfort, comes compassion, comes love. That's grace. This is what we deserve, but this is what God gives. And it's God's free gift. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Uh, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Uh, Galatians, I'm sorry. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. No one posts. You didn't earn it. God freely gives it. And that, that is the, the foundational tenet of our faith. That God doesn't give us what we deserve. And that's good news. Eugene O'Neill uh, said something along the lines of years ago. He said, human beings are broken. Our lives need to be mended. God's grace is the glue. Our lives need to be mended. God's grace is the glue. There's a story told that when C.S. Lewis was teaching, I believe at Oxford, uh, the writer that many of you may be familiar with and, and apologist and, and, and teacher, that uh, he came in to a room of his colleagues one day and they were having a debate, a discussion, is what made Christianity unique? What made it different than, than other faiths and other religions? And somebody said, well, maybe it's the, 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 uh, a doctrine of, of resurrection. And they talked about that. I said, no, other, other faiths have stories of, of people being raised. So that's not completely unique to Christianity. And they said, well, maybe it's an incarnation. Uh, the flesh, the word became flesh. Maybe that's it. And someone said, no, there's certainly stories of, of various religious faiths uh, that gods became human so that's not the unique it's unique in the way it's told but it's not unique in that it happened and so they were going for a little while and finally c.s lewis actually walked into the room and said, what are you guys talking about and they told him and he looked at him for a minute and he said oh it's grace that's what makes christianity unique it's grace it's this idea that god gives us freely what we don't earn of ourselves every other religion has some sort of a path of earning god's favor in, in Buddhism, there's eight laws. In Hindu, there's a, a, a belief in karma. Uh, in, in Judaism, there was the covenant. And, and in Islam, there are, there's a moral code. All of these are meant to say, these are the things you have to do to earn God's favor. But our faith teaches us, Jesus teaches us, that God's favor is given before you have earned it. In fact, you don't earn it. It's given freely. It's a gift. That's what grace is. 
That's, and that's why it's so hard and scandalous to us because our brains don't work that way. That's why Jesus told stories and, and taught parables about God's grace because it's hard for us to get through because we feel that anything given to us free, we're skeptical of that. Can't be real. Can't be trusted. We get emails all the time. Call this person in Nigeria. They're going to give you millions of dollars. And hopefully you do what I do. You dump that. You know that's not true. You don't get free stuff like that. But grace is different. It's God's free gift. There's a, a car, how many of you remember Dennis the Menace, the cartoon, or the movies, right, or, uh, and, and, and television shows over the years? Well, there's one of the, the, the cartoons, and uh, if, if you're not familiar, I think most of you are, but you know, Dennis is not a bad kid, but he's a wild kid, and he's always terrorizing Mr. Wilson, the neighbor, and um, there's one of the, the cartoons for Dennis the Menace is he and his friend Joey are walking out of Mr. and Mrs. Wilson's house. They've been with Mrs. Wilson, who's always kinder to Dennis. And he and Joey have two handfuls of cookies. And they're carrying these cookies, and Joey looks at him and says, what did we do to deserve this? And Dennis looked at him and said, we didn't do anything. Mrs. Wilson doesn't give us cookies because we're nice. Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies because she's nice. Okay? Now that's an image of grace. That's an image of God's love. God's love is given to us not because we have earned it, because it's who God is. It's not to say God has love. God is love. And that's the nature. That's grace. So when we draw from this well and this, this relationship with God, we, we come repentantly and, and, and openly to God, we are refreshed by God's grace. The second thing is we are renewed by God's strength. We're renewed by strength. The very second verse. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. The Lord is my strength and my defense. It is an invitation to recognize that in faith, the Holy Spirit is at work within us. God is at work within us to do more through us than we're capable of doing on our own. But it's not just because of our wonderfulness. It's because of our willingness to be open to God's Spirit. And that's, that's the repetitive pattern in, in the Scriptures. When, when David goes to face a giant, he says to the giant, you know, you come at me with sword and with spear. I come at you with the Spirit of the living God. He's basically saying, guess what? I've got a weapon. It's not a sling. It's not a rock. I've got a strength I'm bringing into the battle. And you know what? It's the presence of God. Moses, when he goes to the court of Pharaoh to, to, deliver, to be the voice to bring his people out of bondage, he finally does it when he finally is convinced, when he believes for the truth, that he goes not of his own ability, because that's when he looked at his own ability, he says over and over in Exodus 3 and 4, I can't do this. I can't speak. I don't have the gifts. Whatever it is, I, I can't do it. And it isn't until he believes what God's telling him, which is, you're not going by yourself, I'm going with you. I am with you, that Moses is able to do that. And, and we see this, again, repeated over and over and over again. We get to Paul. In, in Corinthians, Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh, and he talks about praying for it to go away. And he hears those words that God speaks to him. He says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. God is a God who brings and strengthens us. Oh, the, 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 the dominant greeting when, when people encountered the presence of God or, or the messengers of God in the scriptures were this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. 
And, and that's the invitation God gives us as we face the challenges and the difficulties of life. Fear not, because God's with us. Isaiah says to his people, fear not, because we draw upon God's strength. When we draw upon this well, we draw upon God's strength. Stories told of a father and son who were uh, on a hike. And as they were walking on this trail, they came upon a, a big rock, kind of a, a boulder. And the boy looked at his dad, you know, kind of confident in himself. And he said, Dad, you think I can move that rock? If I use all my strength, you think I can move that rock? His dad said, yes, yeah, son. If you use all your strength, you can move that rock. And so he got set to proving it. And he got low, and he put his shoulder into it, and he put his hands, and he pushed with everything he had. He started breathing heavier, started sweating more, and he pushed, and the rock didn't move. And he kind of changed angles, and he pushed from a different side, and the rock didn't move. And he tried it two or three times, couldn't make it budge. He finally sat down dejected. He said, Dad, he said, I thought you said that if I used all my strength, I could move that rock. And his father said, yeah, I did. But the problem is you didn't use all your strength. You never once asked me to help. And I thought about that. I thought, how many times do we go through life when we face the boulders, the obstacles, the challenges, and we get low and we leverage and we push and we sweat and we change angles and we do everything under our power to move it. And God's standing there wondering when we're going to invite his strength into the, into the challenge. God's, I wonder how many times I go about the challenges of my life before taking the moment to ask God's strength to be my strength. Remembering that is part of what God offers to us. Use all your strength. Well, Isaiah says our strength is the strength of God at work within us. Faith teaches us that when we draw from the well of salvation, this living water, that's the same image Jesus would let, use, this living water, which is a relationship that God's strength becomes our strength. So we are refreshed in God's grace. We are renewed by God's strength. And this is the third point. The refreshing of grace and the renewal of strength produces something in us. It should produce something in us. And this is what it is. It's joy. We find joy. I want you to again hear verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This entire thing is a song of praise and thanksgiving. But with joy, you will draw water from the well of salvation because you're drawing grace. You're drawing strength. That should make you happy. That should bring joy to your life. And then he ends it. The, 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 the prophet ends with verse 6. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Joy should be a product of faith. It absolutely should be a product of faith. When we have no joy, we have missed something in, in the relationship with God. We've, we've missed something. I don't want to say we don't have faith, but there's a component of faith that is absent. Because yes, we go through tough times. They're not, I'm not saying every moment of your life you're going to be happy. I'm not equating happiness with joy. We can be sometimes in situations that don't make us happy and still face it with joy because we understand God's with us. We understand that promise of grace and strength. And that needs to be evident in who we are. When I went to St. Paul, United Methodist Church in Largo, had my first appointment as associate pastor, our accompanist played for the choir and and played for the worship services. Her name was Elizabeth Gatewood. 
Elizabeth, um, in addition to being a very talented woman, was a very sweet, kind, gentle woman, woman of deep faith. It was shortly after I had been appointed there that Elizabeth was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, um, ALS. And over the course of, of time, it began to do what the disease does. It began to deteriorate her motor skills and affect her muscles to where she couldn't play anymore, and eventually to a point where um, Elizabeth was, was unable to move at all. But every time I would see Elizabeth, and I'd see her years even after I had left, every time I would see Elizabeth, there was something that was never changed about her, and that was she always had a smile on her face. She always had a smile on her face. Now, her situation was tough, and I don't think she or anybody would wish for that. Nobody would wish for that. It wasn't that she was happy about what she was facing, but it never stole her joy, her joy of knowing God was with her, her joy of knowing that she was covered in the grace and sustained by the strength of God. And, and that, that joy stayed with her until the day it was exponentially um, expounded upon when she entered into the kingdom of God. But her joy defined her faith. And it infected everybody. There's a, there's a, a video. You know this about joy and about laughter. It, it becomes infectious. Uh, there's a video you can find, another one um, online, of, of some sort of social experiment uh, they went to the subway, I think it was in New York, and they put some hidden cameras on the subway. And um, you know, everybody comes in, gets on one day, and you can see the film, and everybody's kind of sitting there doing their own thing the way that we do. Everybody's got their heads down, they're on their phones, they're kind of in their own little world. And all of a sudden, one guy on the train is like he's pretending to, to read a, something on a tablet. He just starts to laugh. I mean, really laugh loud, bellowing laughs. And, and people start to look up and they start to kind of stare at him as this guy's just laughing out loud and loudly. But, but this is what happened. If you watch the video, you start to notice something. All of a sudden, people kind of come out of their bubble and they start to smile. And in time, other people start to laugh. And eventually, the whole cart is laughing. Nobody knows why, except that somebody was laughing and that laugh became infectious. It became contagious. It spilled over and got on everybody else. And that's what, what our faith should be. It, but defined by joy. I mean, if, 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 if your faith, if your relationship with God does not bring some joy, you're missing something. You're absolutely missing something. And I want us to be the kind of people, I want to be the kind of person that people want to know my God just because they see the joy in my life in this relationship with God and with Christ. And so, so it becomes an opportunity to infect others and, and to spill that over. That's what happens when we begin to draw upon this, this well, these waters of salvation. When we dig deep, we are refreshed in God's grace. We are renewed by His strength, and we experience the power of the joy of a relationship which God has called us to. That's what Isaiah wants his people to know. That's what God wants, wants us to do. No grace Know his strength, but let it show through your joy. Amen? All right, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, we, we come to you honestly and, and openly. We are broken in need of mending. We are weak in need of strength. And, and you offer these through faith, through a relationship, through your Holy Spirit, through the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You, you invite us as we are who we are. 
to experience the mending and the, and the work of your spirit in our lives. And may that be real and truth, and may it just show that it would show through our joy of, of knowing you and being known by you. So help us to dig deep into this relationship and find the promises of faith which your prophet speaks and are just over and over communicated to us through your holy word. We give you all praise and glory in Christ's holy name. Amen. We prepare now our hearts to receive communion as we continue to worship. And as we, uh, we prepare to come to the table, we remember that Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and he gave thanks to God and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you do this, every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks to God and he gave it to them and said, this is my blood of a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And so we remember what God has done through Jesus Christ. We remember the free gift he has given of his grace. We remember that through this meal, we, we experience the power of his Holy Spirit, which is our strength. And we remember that we're called to go and share his joy with the world. Let that be the testimony of our faith. Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Gracious God, bless these gifts of bread and juice, that for us they would be the body and blood of Christ, and that we'd be reminded that through the blood of Christ we are forgiven, but we are called then to go and to be the body, to share the love of Christ, to reflect your goodness and love. And so we pray that we would be faithful to that every day of our lives until one day we step into your kingdom and forever we share this meal at your heavenly banquet. We give you praise. We give you all glory. Unite us in ministry through your Holy Spirit. Unite us in service through your love. Unite us in outreach through your call. And use us always to the glory of Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite now our communion servers to come and to take their place at each of the four stations. If you are new with us today here for the first time, uh, in just a few moments as we continue to worship, the, uh, the communion is open to come and to receive. You're invited to come to either state, two stations in the front or two in the back. Uh, we receive by intinction, open hands, so that you receive the bread and, and dip it in the juice. And then the altar is open for prayer if you care to kneel and pray. On each table are those baskets. Those are not just for offerings, but also for prayer requests you may have on those blue cards for us to be in prayer for during the week. And then um, lastly, if for whatever reason you're not able to come, just get our attention afterwards, some of the servers, and we will, um, we will come and bring communion to you. So brothers and sisters, as the, um, as the table has been made ready, um, and we've got a couple more, you are, you are invited to come and to receive.